I listen to the diaries because it sparks ideas for new adventures. Whether it is an episode about an epic adventure or a backyard micro-adventure, I start thinking about my next adventure. I'm inspired by the people and their stories to go a little farther and dig a little deeper. If you want to add more spark to your adventurous ideas, consider subscribing to the Diaries Plus today. I'm Crystal, a longtime listener from the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains in North Carolina. Thanks to everyone who has subscribed to the Diaries Plus. It's been awesome, and you're powering the show as we move into the future. If you're interested in subscribing today, there's a link in the show notes. Please join. Now, on to the show. In early 2021, my friend Kirsten asked if I wanted to bike from Vancouver, Canada to Mexico. My answer was an immediate and enthusiastic yes. I'd been wanting to do a big trip for a while. After poring over accounts of other people's through hikes and cross-continental cycle trips, I wanted to take a stab at my own epic long-distance slog. There was something inside me demanding that I test myself in a way I never had before. And finally, an opportunity had presented itself. The proposed date for the trip, summer 2022, was over a year away, so there was lots of time to prepare, to train, and to gather the necessary gear. I was all in. Well, except for the training. I figured the first two weeks of the trip could be the training, but I gathered gear, researched the route, and mentally committed July and August to the bike trip. We weren't sure how far we would bike. The Mexican border? Cabo San Lucas? All the way to Guatemala? And we weren't sure how long it would take us, but we were definitely going. Saying yes to the bike trip meant saying no to job opportunities. It meant turning down the chance to live with a friend in a city I had long sworn I would eventually move back to. It meant two months away from my dog and making arrangements for my mom to take care of him while I was away. None of this was easy, but I did it anyway. Finally, it was June 2022 and our departure was rapidly approaching. Then Kirsten called me. I was telling her how I had finally figured out how to adjust my finicky disc brakes when she dropped the bomb. I can't go in July, she said. My job wants to extend my contract. I didn't know what to say. Sure, it was a cool job. She was researching orcas off the coast of Vancouver Island. I knew she loved it, and I knew she was happier than she had been at work in a long time, so it was difficult to begrudge her the opportunity. But this was the bike trip. The 18 months in the making bike trip. The hours of phone calls and hundreds of dollars spent and opportunities turned down bike trip. And she was just gonna bail only a month before we were supposed to leave? Everything around me flattened and the world closed in. I have to go, I told Kirsten abruptly before hanging up. And then I cried. A lot. I felt betrayed and abandoned and like I had no real friends in the world. A bit dramatic, but it was a big blow. I had spent the last two years teaching on Bowen Island, a little island off the coast of Vancouver, and I had been incredibly lonely. I spent all my time wandering around in the woods with my dog and hardly ever socialized outside of work. 
I hadn't realized how much I was looking forward to two months of constant companionship until it was taken away. After two years of feeling isolated, did I really want to extend that feeling for two more months? What if it felt even worse without students and coworkers to see every day? I made a teary phone call to my friend Dana, someone who had seen me through the ups and downs of life and who always had wisdom to impart. Dana, as she so often does, delivered a big truth. The most badass response to this situation is to just go anyway. I chewed on that thought while Dana waited on the other end of the line. She wasn't wrong. I had a pile of gear in the corner of my room, five maps of the American West Coast, and two months with no other commitments. In fact, if I abandoned the trip, I didn't even know what I would do for the summer instead. And so I ignored my better judgment, the pit of anxiety in my stomach, and the concerns of my mother. I ignored the fact that Kirsten was the one who knew about bike mechanics and I could barely change a flat tire on my own. I ignored every person who had ever suggested that a woman in the world alone is asking for trouble. You're right. I'm going anyway, I said to Dana. July 9th, 2022 was the day my trip began and the day I finished moving out of my apartment. I wiped the last counter clean, locked the door, put the key under the mat, and spent a moment staring at my bike. The only time I had ridden it fully loaded was a few circles in my driveway. But here I was, about to ride the stupid thing 3,000 kilometers. There was no one to see me off, no one to wave goodbye, and no one to make a last-ditch effort to convince me this was a bad idea. So I got on my bike, rode out of my driveway, and headed for the Bowen Island Ferry Terminal. I attempted to glide to a smooth stop at the ferry terminal, but I wasn't used to the weight of the bike. I leaned too far to one side and came crashing down. So much for looking cool. Less than an hour later, I lost my balance when the ferry I was riding collided with the loading dock and my bike and I fell over right into the hood of someone's car. The guy was really nice about it, but I'm not sure he appreciated the lasting memento of my journey etched into his paint job. I wasn't off to a great start. I pedaled a laborious 33 kilometers to my brother's house in East Vancouver. I stopped for a break on the seawall. My legs felt like they were going to collapse. I finally arrived at his house and took the next day off. On July 11th, I rode out of Vancouver. I was already exhausted. My legs were fatigued. My handlebars were too wide for the pedestrian walkway on the Knight Street Bridge. I felt like a silly little girl, not the strong independent woman I had envisioned. By the time I got to White Rock, 50 kilometers south of Vancouver on the U.S. border, I was drenched in sweat and my knees were shaking. The next day, on the ride from White Rock to Bellingham, I crossed the international border. I was officially in America. I pedaled 63 kilometers through northern Washington state, directly into a headwind. I'd planned to do shorter days at the beginning of the trip, but I forgot that Americans measure things in miles, and on my third day I ended up biking almost 80 kilometers. I was continuously overtaken by people on e-bikes. 
I met a strange man at a campground who kept asking if I liked his guitar, and I started to feel the loneliness of the last two years creeping in around the edges. Was this trip going to be just like my isolated life on Bowen Island, but with more cardio? But there was a little voice in my head. It was the voice of my mother, who had been telling me since infancy that I was her most stubborn child. And I couldn't let my mother down. I needed all the world to see that I was indeed the most stubborn child, and no amount of falling, car denting, headwinds, metric conversion mistakes, or strange campground men could get in my way. My inner badass was starting to wake up. With every kilometer I covered, I became a little more convinced that I really could do this. My legs started to feel a little sturdier, and my rear end no longer cried out in pain every time I shifted on my saddle. I was buoyed along by the kindness of people I was meeting every day. I met wonderful hosts through the Warm Showers Network, amazing bike mechanics who helped patch up my bike for free because they wanted to support my adventure, completely random strangers who just wanted to ask about what the heck I was doing, and countless elderly people who wanted to know if I was safe. With every smile, every conversation, the loneliness got a little fainter. I started to feel at home in the world again. The true antidote to loneliness appeared in southern Washington on day 12 of the trip. A campground host absolutely insisted that I say hello to another cyclist who was camped a few sites over from me. It felt a bit like being set up on a play date, but I stopped by nonetheless, and that's when I met Suzanne. She was from the Netherlands and began her trip on the northern end of Vancouver Island. Now, she was doing the same route as me down the American west coast. I was thrilled to have finally met another cyclist. Up until that point, they had been sparse, and female cyclists were almost non-existent. A few days later, in Manzanita, Oregon, I crossed paths with Suzanne again, and soon she became my reliable camping companion. We set up our tents next to each other in almost every campground from northern Oregon to Los Angeles. Of course, not everything was great. There was the time I got turned away from a campground and had to bike 20 more kilometers in the blazing heat. I cried. Then there was the time I got worn out by the hills and had to push my bike up the last 30 or so meters of the incline on the way to Manzanita. And I thought about crying. Probably the worst time of all was when a very scary man at the campground in Lincoln City spent the night ranting about all the people he wanted to kill. I couldn't cry because I was scared that if I made noise, I would be added to his list. If I wanted to make a list of bad moments, I definitely could. But in a way, those darker times highlighted everything that was wonderful about the trip. The little things, like lying in a tent, listening to early morning birdsong, standing with my feet in the ocean, a million fancy coffees, the way cows always look up when you pass them on a bike, the joy of a campground with conveniently placed electrical outlets and experiencing the slow but sure process of my body getting stronger. And of course, the big things. The things that are imprinted on my mind the same way my handlebars imprinted on the hood of that guy's car on my very first day. Seeing my first ever real live whale on the coast of Oregon, crossing the state border into California so far from Canada that it was hard to imagine until I got there. 
gliding down the Newton B. Drury Parkway in the California Redwoods with tears in my eyes because never in my life had I seen something so beautiful. Conquering the biggest hill of the whole trip and realizing that it wasn't even that bad. My little legs were capable of big things. Rolling across the Golden Gate Bridge, dodging oncoming cyclists, and knowing that if I could make it to San Francisco, I could make it to the Mexican border. And finally, sitting on a picnic table looking at Mexico, knowing that a whole world lay on the other side of that fence and wishing I could cross. Thinking of everything that lay behind me and everything that lay ahead, and knowing that if I could do this, I could do anything. I could climb mountains, I could connect with strangers, I could try new things and be anyone I wanted to be. I could even go on another bike trip. Deciding to go anyway, it really was the most badass option. My name is Laura Buchan, and this is my short. Thank you, Laura, for sharing your story. Our stories come from friends, from friends of friends, and from you, our community. If you have a compelling idea for a guest or a story lead, please give us a shout. You can use the submission form on our website, dirtbikediaries.com. Music today from Tigers in the Sky and Brendan O'Connell. The tracks are courtesy of the artists or track club. Jacob Bain and Nice Koto composed our theme song. You can find all the links, you guessed it, at our website, dirtbikediaries.com. This episode was produced by Lauren Delaney Miller additional production help from Ashley Langholz and Becca Call. Artwork by Walker Call. Becca Call is our executive producer. And I am Fitz Call. And I'm going on vacation. Happy summer, everyone. You've been listening to Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in. Support comes from Kuat Racks. Their Ibex Overlanding Truck Bed Rack is made to handle substantial loads both on and off the grid. You can go anywhere with it. Seriously, constructed from lightweight yet durable aluminum, the black powder coat is made for all the nature you can throw at it. Available in seven different frame sizes to accommodate most truck models, the Ibex is engineered for adventure with versatile full and half height configurations. For more details, and to visualize your Ibex configuration, you should do this. It's super cool. It's a neat augmented reality program. Check it out. See what it would look like on your truck. It works super well. Visit kuat.com, kuat, because you will absolutely love this overlanding truck bed rack.